Have you ever left church mumbling to yourself, well, I didn't get much out of that? You just left a worship service. But did you worship? If you didn't do much worshiping, what were you doing? What has to happen in that worship hour to make you reasonably certain that you engaged in acceptable worship? What is worship? Who does it and how? That's the topic of our conversation today on this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, how well does the average person understand what constitutes worship? The average person doesn't understand very well what constitutes worship, but the average person, actually every person worships. We were made to worship. Every person has some sort of, so worship, just I guess we get definitions out of the way right off the bat. Uh, Worship is an old English word, which it's not very fancy. It basically just means worth-ship ascribing worth to something. And so um, you know, the, when the Bible talks about worship, there's a lot of different words the Bible uses to talk about Christian worship, uh, you know, adoration, praise, thanksgiving, those sorts of things. But the, the word worship covers all of them. And it's an important word because, and I think this is why it's important that you and I have this conversation today, because um, you know, like your question, uh, question asks, not many people understand what makes up worship, and even fewer people understand what proper worship is. But every single human being worships. Every single human being has something that they ascribe worth to, that they say, this is valuable. I can orient my life around this. That sounds like a very broad definition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a corresponding narrow definition? Well, yeah, everybody. So worship is what you ascribe worth to. Everybody has that. That's a value. I mean, some guys worship golf, right? Yeah, I guess. So, exactly. So, that, so but that's t- that's pretty far from worshiping worshiping the God of the universe. But it's the same thing fundamentally. It's uh, um, golf's a great example. So broadly speaking, somebody has they place value in golf. That's the thing they ascribe worth to. It's the thing that gives them meaning. It's the thing that gives them hope. They get joy out of it. They suffer pain when it's not going well. Now. That's the broad view. Now, the narrow view is this. They actually have worship services. They have events that they go to where they participate with other people who are also ascribing worth to the same thing. They have an offering plate. They pay their money. They have their rituals. You know, they, they clean the ball at certain holes. Um, at the turn, they're going to go get a hot dog. They have their, the sacraments. And um, so you can say that this is, you know, it's very different. And, of course, it is because... Uh, in my perspective, as a bad golfer, uh, golf is not something that you should ascribe worth to, but people do. People do, and it's the, it's the broad. They, they worship it broadly. They give it value, and they worship it worship it narrowly. It works out in their expenses, in their emotions, in their habits. It's a great example. I used to think about the NFL in this way. I've always kind of been an NFL fan, and the NFL has its rituals. There are mm-hmm. people who are at the uh, game site three, four, five hours before the games mm-hmm. to start in order to, to cook. There's a meal involved. Yes. Uh, there is a certain quality of clothing that you have to uh-huh. wear. Yeah. You know, you can't just show up in your, your khakis. Yeah. you you, yeah. you got to wear your special stuff. It's 
it's kind of religious almost. It is, yeah. There's songs you sing in yep. the stands. There's a, uh, there's sacred meals. There's tailgating or the halftime bratwurst. Uh, very much so. It, there's a, a definitely deep emotions invested. There's lots of time spent. You know, there's uh, devotional habits. You know, picking up the the, st- the stat sheets throughout the week and checking your the the, the injury report to see who's going to play. It's got its own sort of community groups where you uh, can break out into uh, you know playing uh, fantasy sports with your friends and uh, definitely and all of life is like this and if you break it down uh, we'll, we'll find that all of life is worship it might not be religious in the narrow sense but every we're programmed to worship John chapter four verse twenty four says and I'm quoting God is spirit and those who worship or those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth with the emphasis as I put it on the word must. Yeah. So this is not this is not up for grabs. There's a must here. If worship must be done properly, how can I be sure that I'm doing it correctly? Yeah, so uh, he says must worship him in spirit and truth. It's important to to, to point out that uh, this is uh, God stuff. Uh, this is a Christian podcast and you just read from the Christian's most sacred text of the New Testament. So uh, assuming here that, and, and we haven't made the argument, and I, I don't know if I should spend any time arguing that the NFL probably shouldn't be the place where you ascribe highest value and that the creator God is. Uh, I'm just going to assume, though, that um, I'm going to assume that. And then uh, maybe in a different podcast, we can argue that uh, we get a deep. Uh, we get our deepest fulfillment out of worshiping what's what what only is truly worthy of worship. God. So um, God wants to be worshipped. Uh, he wants us to find our deepest value in Him. Uh, like you point out here in John four twenty four, He actually tells us how, and the answer is in spirit and in truth. So the question then is, what does that mean? Spirit is. You know, we use the word spirit to mean like invisible or uh, ghostly, n- non-corporeal, non-body. Immaterial. Immaterial, yeah. Um, uh, there's, that's a part of it, but definitely in the Bible, spirit is God's life-giving ability. He breathes into Adam and Eve spirit. He gives them life. Holy Spirit is a good way to think of it. It's, it's God's, God's regenerative, creative force. And when you worship God, what he's saying is, is you can't do it in your own, you can't do it in your own flesh. Flesh is in the Bible, the opposite of spirit. Again, though, don't think strictly body and soul, but by flesh, the Bible usually means in our sinfulness, in our brokenness. We can't with our own reason or strength come to God. We have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he uses the word spirit. It has to come through God's power. He has to draw you. It has to be done with a, uh, in his energy. It has to be done in his name. Truth kind of connects to this. You worship him in spirit and truth. Truth means that God decides how it happens. Um, God is a way for us to worship him, and it's not any way that we get to decide. It's, it's the true way. And, of course, in the Gospel of John, where this text is that you quoted from, the truth is Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when Jesus tells um, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well there in John 4 that if you want to worship God, you've got to worship him in spirit and in truth, essentially what he's saying is this, 
is that worshiping God is a gift that he gives us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we can do on our own. And it has to center around, find its meaning in, and its impetus in Jesus, the one truth. Let's follow that spirit thread a little bit, whether it's the NFL or whether it's mm-hmm. the you know the weekend golf game, or maybe you're a classical music fan and your cathedral is Powell Symphony Hall in right. St. Louis. Yeah. Most of us process what we do, what we see, what we experience in the flesh with our senses. And when we talk about the spirit, we're almost entering foreign territory, thinking about what we're experiencing in a spiritual way to the point that we say things like, well, I know my golf swing is off because I could just feel that, uh, you know, my hands, I'm not getting my hands through or whatever it is, but that's real. But spiritual processing, that's not real. It's kind of real, but I don't know where it is. I can't, you know, since I can't quantify it, it's not real. And so we approach church worship with kind of a sense that I'm going to be doing something here that's not real, but I'll go ahead and do it anyway, I guess. What do you think? Yeah, so again, so uh, spirit here means Holy Spirit. And we can talk about whether that's real or not. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of at the heart of this is, um, well, let me see, let me try and put it like this. Let me, let me rephrase yeah, just yeah. Holy spirit, human spirit, spirit realm right. in general, yeah. which is some kind of, I don't know, metaphorical place as yeah. opposed to being real Yeah, where I, I, I hardly do any of my thinking. I'm, right. I'm in the real world, brother. And that's where I do my thinking. Right. So. I appreciate the reference to the Holy Spirit here in John four twenty four, but something spiritual should happen in me mm-hmm. when I go into the worship service. Something spiritual should be happening there. Something different than when I go to a lecture at the local uh, community college and I hear somebody talking about the environment or something. Right. It should be different in in the worship service, shouldn't it? Yeah. So, so the Bible says, Paul, St. Paul says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, capital S Spirit, bears witness with our spirit, lowercase s, our, you know, our, like each one of us has, a, we have an internal part. I, this is a little bit controversial now in a materialistic world. Uh, the Bible teaches, and I think human experience just validates that, that human beings have both a body and a soul. Um, I'm not going to argue that right now, but the Bible says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Now, if I go to a football game and I watch my favorite team play, and there's a, you know, there's a pick six right when the other team is about to score, like my spirit. Meaning an interception for a touchdown is that just for the uh, uninitiated? Uh, My spirit responds to that. Like in turn, it's not just a, a chemical reaction. You know, I see a man running with the ball into a rectangular space at the end of the building. It's, it's actually, there's something about that. I understand the rules. I understand the moment. I'm also, my, my personal spirit is responding to the cheering of the fans around me. All of that comes into play. Um, that's true of church as well. But, but when we say the capital S Holy Spirit is at the heart of this, what we mean is, is that the only way you can get that is by the Holy Spirit. It's very understandable, I think, for people to get excited when they you know, stiff 150-yard eight iron to within three feet of the hole while they're playing golf. Our spirits are going to respond to that. When somebody comes into a building, a sacred space, 
and they sing a song about a construction worker who died and rose from the dead, the only way their lowercase s spirit is going to respond to that is, John is saying, is if the uppercase s spirit works that in their heart. It doesn't make any sense. We, we understand sports. We understand the birth of our child. We understand uh, you know, a beautiful sunset and our spirits respond to that. The only way our spirits can respond to something as beautiful, the only way our spirits can respond to the death and resurrection of Jesus in a similar way is if the Holy Spirit does it. And when he does, our lowercase spirits respond and say, yes, that's awesome. I've heard you say a couple of times over the course of months, maybe years, about walking into a church, maybe visiting a church, and the people who are responding during the liturgical part of the service are kind of mumbling, and mm-hmm. their yeah. singing is barely audible. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm not quoting you properly here, but uh, you read something into that. Yeah. Uh, something maybe about the commitment of the people who are there. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't appear to be too strong. Yeah. Are you in a position to make an evaluation on the quality of their worship in that moment? Uh, well, that's a dangerous thing to do because you don't know people and where they're at. But, but I will say that it says something. Now, I, Some people just aren't emotional people. I get it. Their spirits respond differently. Their spirits respond cerebrally. Spirit, by the way, is not equal emotion, Like even for us. My emotions get excited uh, my spirit gets excited when my team scores a touchdown. My spirit also gets excited the next day when I'm reading the game recap in the newspaper. Now, I'm not jumping up and down. I'm kind of processing intellectually what happened. Same thing, though. But it's, yeah, I, I think that that's true. I think that in general, I don't want to be like, there's always outliers. But in general, if you walk into a, a church sanctuary and people are kind of, you know, mumbling and uh, they're kind of mailing in the, you know, their response to God. I think it's, you have to at least wonder. So look, my, I took my daughter to, um, my son and my daughter, my daughter's uh, 14, not really that big of a sports fan, but I took her to a University of Illinois football game this year. And she brought an Agatha Christie novel. And while everybody was jumping up and down cheering, she sat next next to me in her seat reading this novel. The only thing I can assume when I see that happen is that she does not care for football. That's the one assumption I can make most of all. When I come into a church uh, sanctuary and p- people's lowercase s spirits, t- to my perception, aren't engaged. I, I, I probably need to ask them, like, what's going on here? But it does raise questions in my mind if the uppercase s spirit, if they're worshiping God in the uppercase s spirit. Now, I, I, again, I don't want to turn it into purely emotions. It's also intellectual. It's also volitional. But definitely that volitional. does raise the, What does volitional mean? The, the, our... our uh, our choice making okay. machinery that that each one of us has. You know, am I going to go here for dinner or there for dinner? It's our volitions that decide this. So it definitely raises a question of whether they're actually worshiping in capital S spirit. So anybody, let's say we're talking to a baseball fan here. If you ever been to a baseball game, you go to see your favorite major league team, and um, your favorite player hits a walk off home run to win the game, and the stadium goes crazy yep. and if you've ever experienced something like that, people know what I'm talking about if you follow sports. You can have the same kind of experience as I pointed out with classical music there. If you have a favorite piece and you hear it performed live and right. and the climax comes, and you'd be brought to tears. You could just be yeah. almost weeping. Yeah, That doesn't happen very often in church. 
it, you, you don't have the walk-off home run feeling. Right. The classical music, big climax feeling very often in church, I guess. Maybe yeah. there are people who are having that kind of experience. Uh, is that is that bad? Should we be? Should we at least once in a while have a walk off home run feeling? Yeah, I, I I think so. And again, though, but people respond to that differently. If you think about your favorite baseball team, um, think about a player who hits. You can think about two different players on your favorite baseball team. One of them hits a walk off home run, and they are jumping up and down and pointing at the bench and uh, laughing and sprinting around the bases. And another guy, same guy, hits a walk-off home run, kind of puts his head down, doesn't look up, just trots around. Both of them are, both of them are super excited to have hit that home run, but they they respond differently. And so I think it's always important to put that caveat on caveat on there. But yes, Christians frequently, at least in our tradition, don't worship God with all their being. So you said when we started our conversation that worship is putting worth into something. Yeah. And you broadened it out further than I thought you were, you were going to go, but that's that's good. So for the person who's listening to us who says, I do play golf, I do like to go to the baseball game, I do go to the to the symphony from time to time, I do those things, yeah. that's not worship. Right. In my realm, at least up to this point, Worship is church. Right. There's a there's a kind of a line that separates those two. So how are you going to bring that person into the understanding that you're talking about here? Well, it, it may or may not be right. It may or may not be worship in this narrow technical sense. It, it, it's all of it. So I, I I get paid to worship. I worship on Sundays, uh, every Sunday at my church. I preach sermons. I sing hymns. I serve Holy Communion. I teach classes. I also worship money, and I—that's I, a frank, just—it's uh, a honestly, it's just a confession. You know, God forgive me, I worship money. Uh, that is, I ascribe ultimate value to it. Uh, I have, I, you know, I check my, uh, I check my portfolio, and if there's a bad stock day, I'm, I'm really bummed and worried. If there's a great stock day, I'm elated. I have all those emotions too. Uh, I check financial reports. I look at my bank account. If we get a big tax return back, I'm relieved. If I don't, I'm worried. Um, I, I, I struggle with the notion that money is going to make me happy. I, I, I fear losing money. In that, that I should not give that fear to money. I should only give that fear to um, God. God's the only thing that I could lose, and I would be devastated. Money is not. I love money. I, 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 I value it too highly. I trust money. When I get worried, I think, okay, so we're okay. We got money in the bank. Or if there's not money in the bank, I again, the fear comes up. That's only something I should be doing to God. And so if anybody says to me, well, I worship only God. I don't worship anything else. My first tendency is to think, you're either a glorified saint who's already been perfected in heaven and somehow you've sneaked back here on earth, or which I, which I, uh, I think this is probably more likely the case, you're very, very deluded, and you are not. You're not noticing the way that you're worshiping things other than the one true God. And some people, though, I mean, that's a, for for a lot of Christians. I know that's where they're at. For a lot of non-Christians, they just don't understand what worship is. 
they're still chasing after something that's this high value that they think is going to make them happy. And um, uh, it just isn't. It just isn't. Uh, Rick Rubin, who's, uh, um, and I, I might have quoted this in here before, I apologize if I have, is a, a music producer, is this a quote he says, which basically goes uh, along the lines, I'm going to botch it up a little bit, nobody has the right to be depressed until they've actually accomplished their dreams. And what he means is this, is that the people who accomplish their dreams, inevitably when they get there, they think, oh, that's it? That's it? They ascribed highest value to you know fame or to you know having a million dollars in their uh, Edward Jones account or to finally getting that vice president's position or that 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 girl or that guy finally agreed to go out with me and then when you get there you're like this is you know you ascribed value you ascribed worth you worshipped something that's not worthy of worth it's good like having kids is great making money is great getting famous is great if you know if that's if that's your bag. But it's not the highest value. And so to understand that I've been worshiping, I've, maybe you've never been a religious person. Maybe you're like, I would never, ever step foot inside sacred architecture. Or you know, maybe you look down on religious people as sort of half-witted. But what I want those people to understand is you, my friend, have been worshiping all along. You're programmed to worship. God designed you to worship. You can't avoid it. Now, the question is, are you worshiping something that's actually going to fulfill you? Or... Are you worshiping an idol? That's your choice. The only thing that can truly fulfill us is the Creator God. I just real quick here, like this famous quote of Saint Augustine's comes to mind. Uh, you've made us for yourself, Augustine says in his Confessions. God, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Which is basically just a religious version of Rick Rubin's quote. We're made for God, and until we find God. We're going to be antsy. We're going to be restless. We're never going to be filled. And we're going to be trying to throw anything we can think of, sex, money, power, down into that hole to fill it up. But only God can do it. So let's focus on worship in church and the worship service, if you will. Yeah. The first mention of worship in the Bible comes early in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 22. In obedience to God, Abraham has taken Isaac to the land of Moriah to sacrifice him seeing the place from afar, Abraham says this to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. Yeah. So is it possible to worship without a church building, without a hallowed place, without a congregation? Yeah, for sure. Anytime that you ascribe worth to the creator God by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, you are engaged in Christian worship. Now, the best place to do that is with God's people all together, gathered around his word, gathered around baptism and Holy Communion, uh, singing praises together. But we all should be doing it all the time. And in my, I'm not a good, I'm not a perfect example of this. I'm not, maybe not even a good example of this, but I'll just tell you how I'm trying to work on this in, in my life. When I read the Bible, when, when I read the Bible uh, every day, I, one of the things I do is I read through the Psalms. I'm reading Psalms as part of my scripture reading. I read from the Psalms every day, which if, if our listeners aren't familiar with the Psalms, that's God's worship book. It's a, a, a big old fat book right in the middle of the Bible, um, which is uh, lots of uh, worship material, uh, all different kinds, praise, lament, uh, anger, uh, asking for forgiveness, all different kinds of worship is in there. And what I do is I read the Psalms first 
And then when I read through the Psalms, I find the things that in, in each one of those Psalms that speaks about God and who he is. And I tell God, God, I value you for this. God is my rock and my redeemer, the Psalms will frequently say. And I'll say to God, God, thank you so much for being a rock and redeemer. Thank you for being my fortress, the one place where I can go to when I'm scared. Or the Lord is my shepherd. Say, God, thank you for being the one true shepherd, the one thing that I can actually count on to truly guide me and feed me and protect me is you. And so I I do that home on my own. And that's absolutely Christian worship. All of life should be a a life of worship. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, do it to the glory of God. Everything we do should be an act of worship. It's a famous quote, and I know I've quoted this several times in here, but I I keep coming back to this because it captures a lot of what I'm saying perfectly. It's from the movie Chariots of Fire, where Eric Liddell, uh, the, the British sprinter in the 1920s, is told by his sister, Eric, God called us, me and you, to be missionaries to China, and you're wasting our time. We need to get to China where we can actually worship God, do what he called us to do. And Eric Liddell says this great line. He says, okay, yes, I know, uh, sister, that God has called me to go to China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And what he's saying is, is I'm going to go out there on the track and I'm going to run and I'm doing it as an act of worship. The God who made me fast takes pleasure in my fastness. And I'm going to go and I'm going to be fast for him. That's worship. It's just as much worship as uh, any other thing you can do. Uh, the famous Baptist Spurgeon, Charles Baptist preacher Sp- Charles Spurgeon, uh, famously said, "The farmer's plow is just as sacred as the pastor's pulpit." And what he means is, all of life is worship. All of life is ascribing for a Christian to say, "God, this running, this fastness came from you. God, this field is a gift of you. The ability to come out here and work this field is a gift of you. This plow is a gift of you. God, I'm doing this towards you. I'm doing it in the name of Jesus, but I'm doing it for you. that's that's worship." So let's move in the direction of transitioning from sort of going through the motions worship to actually this worship mm-hmm. that we've been talking about yeah. that we should all be aiming at. And you mentioned Psalm. Psalm 29 verse 2 says, and here's a word you've used several times already, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Yeah. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Yeah. Now, the first phrase there, ascribe to the Lord, the glory do his name, I think most of us would say, yeah, I'll check that box. When I come to church, I believe in God, and, I, and I'm not ascribing any of that to anything or anybody else. Yeah. I'm ascribing that to God. But then comes the phrase, um, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, that just sounds like some sort of some high-minded Bible language that I'm not even sure. You know, if when I sit down in the pew, all right, I'm going to go into splendor of holiness gear here. How, how do I do that? What's yeah. that look like? Holiness is God's complete otherness. Holiness is, it's not our behavior, which is distinctly, which is compared to God, distinctly unholy. Very, very common. The, the, the opposite of holy is common. The opposite of holy is not necessarily sinful. The opposite of holy in the Bible is common. Now, what's common is human sin, and so you can say that those two are definitely related. But to, to worship God in the splendor of holiness is to recognize him as completely other. Now, I, I know what you're saying, that a lot of Christians— Splendor is a beautiful word here. Yes. Yeah, so and it's it's almost goes beyond my ability to— 
Yeah. Take that in. Yeah. Definitely. Splendor is high. On, it's, and actually, um, real quick here, Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. It works on parallelism. So one line states something. The other line, and I'm, this is, is way more complex than this, but I'm giving you just the short version. The next line will restate it in some sort of way. Sometimes it compares it. Sometimes it contrasts it, whatever. But it will typically restate it. So when it says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord. It's repeating. Worship the Lord repeats, ascribe to the Lord. The splendor of holiness parallels the glory due his name. That glory, that literally in Hebrew, the weight, the, 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 the weight that you put on it, the value that you give to it, it's got to be the utmost. It's got to be one of splendor, also uh, holiness, completely other. Nothing, no, nothing else matches. And so I, I myself, I come into Christian worship frequently, and, and I'll say, okay, I believe that there's one true God, and uh, he exists in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and I'm going to worship God the Father through the God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in the power of his Holy Spirit this morning. I'm going to ascribe to him, I'm going to ascribe to him worth. I'm going to worship him. But am I valuing that higher than every other thing? Do I come to church and I think, if in my mind I'm thinking, okay, I'm worshiping God here, but I hope that the main thing is that do people like this sermon? Then I've not really ascribed, I've not made God my ultimate worth. I've made my sermon the ultimate worth, and God is a means to get there. Is, um, you know, is... Uh, I'm going to go to church and worship. Lots of people will do this. I'm going to go to church because I'm in a bad spot and my marriage is on the rocks. Let's go to church. That's a great reason to go to church, by the way, too. But if you come to church and your ultimate good, your ultimate worth is the survival of your marriage and God becomes a means, I mean, we might say he's the only true God, but if he becomes a means to fix my marriage, then we're not really worshiping him. We're worshiping our marriage or the idea of what our marriage could be. And what this text is a great text, beautiful text, uh, Chuck. What this is saying is, is that when God wants us to value him more than my sermon, more than our marriages, and more than many things that are less important than marriage, he wants us to value him more than money, more than power, more than the NFL. And he wants to be the, he wants to be the ultimate good. And when God, through his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we see him, as the ultimate good, we will have seen him in his splendor and glory. And to circle back to a comment you made earlier, the reason why we're not lit up by worship, the reason why we come to worship and our emotions aren't overflowing, our minds aren't intellectually engaged, is because we aren't seeing him as the ultimate good. There are other ultimate goods that are in the way. But when we see him in the splendor of his holiness as the ultimate good, our minds are going to kick into gear. Our, our emotions are going to kick into gear. We're going to, our, our volition making ability is going to kick into gear all by his grace because we see this vision of who, who he is. And that will be ultimate true worship. So, what about when we get worship really wrong? Mm -hmm. So far, we've kind of talked about it as if we all miss the mark to a certain extent. What happens when we get it really wrong? Paul talks about unrighteous men in Romans chapter one, saying, quote, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature. Rather than yeah. the creator. Yeah. 
Can you talk about this exchange that Paul is referencing here? Yeah, this, is, this takes us back to the beginning of our episode today, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. So, so Paul, Paul's acknowledging that he's acknowledging the broad view of worship, right? It's not just church stuff. It's not just God stuff. You can worship the creature. Did God create golf? Yes. It's a beautiful game. It's, I wish I was better at it. It's, it's lovely. If, if, if golf is your thing, you should enjoy it. But if you start to worship the creature more than the creator, that is, that is uh, bad worship. Is money good? Is sex good? Is power good? Are jobs good? Are our children good? Are, are our friends good? Yes, but once we start worshiping those created things, once we start ascribing to them ultimate worth, that's bad, broken worship. And what God wants us to do is to worship him alone. In Romans 1 there, you know, basically Paul's point is this. is Okay, you want to worship a creature? I'll give it to you. You want to make fame the center of your life? You want to make economic security the center of your life? Sometimes God gives us what he wants. One of the worst things God can do to us is give us what we want. That's the first part of Romans talks about God giving people over yeah. to these yeah. uh, these idols. Well, this, this is actually um, a very, very important psychological and biblical principle as, as well. You will become what you worship. You will be consumed by whatever it is that you ascribe as the highest value. The best way to be a human being is for that not to be money that's going to destroy you and destroy your family and your friends. It's not going to be sex or power or golf or your kids or the NFL or shopping for shoes or whatever it is. That's going to end up tearing you apart. The best way to be a human being is to worship the God who made you, who designed you to look like him. The only way to do that is in spirit and truth by the power of the Holy Spirit through the person of Jesus Christ. That's true worship. Let me see if I can attempt to put an exclamation point on our discussion here today. No Bible book talks about worship more than the book of Revelation. Saints worshiping God forever, unrepentant people worshiping demons and idols. In Revelation 22, the apostle John falls at the feet of an angel to worship, Mm -hmm. and the angel rebukes John with the command, worship God, simply stated. Exclamation point. I guess the exclamation point is mine. Yeah. So this Sunday, when I go to church, based on what we've talked about today, how can I begin to implement some of the things that I've learned and heard today so that my worship this Sunday is more along the lines of spirit and truth yeah. than it was last week? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to uh, read this verse to you from 1 Peter chapter 2. This is verses um, 4 and 5, 4 through 6, uh, 4 and 5. And it talks about worship. I mean, actual, not worship in the broad sense, but worship in the Sunday morning sense. And it says, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. To, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. That's basically worship, church language, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's the first, that's, I mean, that's the main key is worship acceptable to God is through Jesus Christ. Understanding that when I worship, I've got to be there in Jesus Christ. And the way we live that out is, of course, is to focus on Jesus, to pray that the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to his glory, to repent, to confess our sins, 
to be aware. And so part of hopefully what we're doing today, it will help me and you and people who are listening to us be aware that we bring into Christian worship all sorts of bad worship and to be able to recognize those as bad worship and to say, God, I repent of thinking of, of, of being consumed by the football game that's going to happen after church. God, help me not to think about that. Help me not to feel for that right now. Help me to think and feel for you alone, to pray that prayer of confession and to, to, to learn in, in God's word and in holy communion, to see his beauty, beauty, the splendor of his holiness. That's the path of Christian worship. And again, too, it's not a switch that you can throw off and on. It's not like, oh, no, this Sunday I'm going to be a true worshiper. It's a journey. It's a relationship. Seeing God in the splendor of his holiness means being with him. And the more that you're with him, the more that you with him, the more that holiness does look glorious to you. But to learn to be in that relationship and to start growing in that and repenting and confessing your sins, that's the path to true Christian worship. So by God's grace, it is appropriate for me to aspire to be a better worshiper next time than I was last time. Yeah, by his grace. By his grace. We want to say thank you for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God with Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. If you enjoy these conversations, please tell your friends about us and be sure to click the like button on our episode page. I'm Chuck Rathard. Thank you for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God.